Welcome to the Final Ghost Podcast. This is Anna, co-founder of the Final Ghost Collective and your podcast host. If you're new to the show, every season we explore the intersections of horror, film and feminism, looking at a particular trope in depth. And today's episode is the last one of our season dedicated to vampires, the most elegant and the horniest of movie monsters. In each episode so far, I am joined by a special guest to dive deep into a vampire movie or two. We discuss the films in detail, try to contextualize them and think about what works, what doesn't. Depending on the film, we also make a ton of bad jokes. So if you're on board with that, that's great. Today's episode, as I said, is our last one of the vampire season. And we've got a double bill of vampire films from 2014. First up, we are talking about Anna Lily Amirpour's excellent and extremely cool A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, the very first Iranian vampire western, which follows the experiences of a lonesome vampire called only the girl. And in the second half of the episode, in a complete tonal shift, we giggle our way through a discussion of what we do in the shadows, a mockumentary directed by Taika Waititi that sees a bunch of vampire flatmates trying to live their best vampire lives in Wellington, New Zealand. I'm joined in this episode by film critic and Bloody Women commissioning editor Leila Latif to discuss both of these films in depth and also share an incredible Flight of the Concord story. We have to thank our supporters for this entire vampire season, the lovely folk at Arrow Video, who bring out the very best in cult, horror and genre films, specializing in deluxe definitive home entertainment editions with newly commissioned artwork and amazing extras. They've got a vast collection now with over 500 titles released on physical media and also have a brand new streaming platform called the Arrow Player. Throughout the whole of the season, we have been picking out a film from their collection to recommend. And this week, our pick is Lords of Chaos, a true crime horror film based on the real life events surrounding the Norwegian death metal scene. It is extremely graphic and also kind of sad, but it is definitely a film that I really recommend checking out and will definitely leave a mark. Now, while this is our last full episode of the vampire season, we will be having a couple of bonus episodes coming up over the next few weeks. So do watch out for those. And we also post bonus episodes over on our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the final girls. We are also now prepping our next couple of seasons so watch out on social media and we will be posting more details there in the coming weeks and with all of that said if you are new to the podcast please know that we discuss the films in detail pretty much from the very beginning if you're averse to any discussion about a film without watching it consider this your spoiler warning if you really don't mind then please enjoy our deep dive discussion of a girl walks home alone at night and what we do in the shadows Layla, welcome back. It's been literally a week and you're back again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like buses. You wait for ages for a Layla episode and then we kind of all come at once. <laughs> so this is, this is kind of the, the last official set of films that I'm covering in this series. I'm honoured. I know. I'm I'm honored as well. So I wanted to to dig straight into them and it's curious that they're extremely different films that came out in the same year. Mm-hmm. So, 
let's start with A Girl Walks Home Alive. Let's start with A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night by director Anna Lilia Mepore. seen this film before recording this so can you talk a little bit about your expectations of it and did the film itself meet them uh yeah it's one of those weird ones because it's kind of really my thing mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of a new take on uh, the vampire story set by this like uh art house director and yeah. all this praise from sundance that's like ticking all of the boxes for me but you know life kind of gets in the way sometimes that you just miss something and then i think unfortunately what happens i watched her next film and i didn't like it mm-hmm. so that kind of motivated me a little bit less to go back and see this but i'm, I'm really glad that i had this opportunity to watch it and to talk about it with you because i thought it was fantastic oh amazing i'm so glad so because i guess it's also really it's a difficult one to be in because you've already got you know, several years and her subsequent films as, you know, a, a framework around it. But what did you think of this film? Yeah, it's funny. it reminded me so much of the last film we discussed, Let the Right One In. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I mean, actually, down to like a lot of the kind of plot beats are really, really similar. But, you know, if I was saying that that film had like very little dialogue, this had like, <laughs> this made that look like a kind of Woody Allen romantic comedy because this was so like confident in these like long gorgeous silences and what i think i've really come to appreciate this year is how hard black and white is to do oh. because not to name names um i'm wanting a blind manner black and badly done black and white is really really awful mm. when you see it and it gets that kind of like sludgy slightly brown tone mm. and like in this it was so crisp and cool mm. Um, I think she really kind of like leaned into like that kind of colder grays rather than, and that gave it kind of a very like, like a real like brightness to all of the whites. And then like, yeah, I just loved the way that that was all done. And particularly on the face of the girl and she has this incredible face structure. It just lit her into looking like this wonderful, like otherworldly being. Like, yeah, I'm kind of surprised that the follow-up was, I mean, I really didn't like The Bad Batch, but 
she has something else coming out soon, so maybe mm-hmm. that will be a return to form. I mean, I I sort of kind of enjoyed the Bad Batch myself. I haven't revisited mm-hmm. it since it first came out, but to dig into what you're saying into the cinematography, because the style of it is one of the things that I remember everyone raving about at the time. I think I saw it. No, I didn't see it. I saw the ending of it in the Q&A with Anna Lily when it premiered in the, at the London Film Festival, because it was where I was working at the time. It was like my mm-hmm. first job in London. And I, I kind of knew some of the stories of the film or the you know the the success of the film with audiences before i knew before i actually watched it but mm-hmm. there you're very right in the sense that there is a very intense crispness to the cinematography right this is probably not the technical term yeah. but it's like the blacks are really black and the whites are extremely shiny again not technical terms do not judge me <laughs> but what did you think of the way that she uses black and white cinematography and the the landscapes which are also kind of very you know either interiors or very empty urban streets like mm. it sort of feeds from and into quite a lot of different types of filmmaking yeah, it's very kind of I don't it's it it's sort of got an almost like a graphic novel sense to it, but then also yes. like a bit of a spaghetti western vibe. Yes. And like yeah, it I love also that it kind of seems to be I mean it's Iran, but it's also mm. nowhere. Mm. Um and like there are those kind of like wonderful especially with um Arash. Like mm-hmm. he's kind of he has that sort of James Dean rockabilly timeless like American hunk about him. With I mean, he's just got such beautiful hair, doesn't he? Oh, yes. Sorry, I need to come on these podcasts less horny. Ah! Like stop kind of talking. No. It's no, been no. a long lockdown. You know, <laughs> Lila, you have a husband, but also I appreciate the horniness in any form. You know what? This podcast is a horny safe space, so. <laughs> You go off about Arash's hair because I agree. Yeah, I think it's, well, you know, I would say, you know, even when you have a husband that you like very much, you need to go out and get inspiration to then bring back to the husband. You know, we can't be inspired by the same image all day, every day. So thank you very much to um, Arash for bringing a little frisson to the energy last night when I watched this. What what do you think about the um you mentioned spaghetti westerns before mm. and okay <laughs> <laughs> what no that was genuinely just like mm, spaghetti west I like spaghetti westerns okay get your mind out of the gutter <laughs> I will not because you have dragged it there but also I just find it hilarious for anyone listening we are actually recording this at like eight thirty in the morning so this is peak horny time um. <laughs> What I wanted to mention was that it's it's funny that you, you mentioned Spaghetti Westerns because Anna Lily referred to this film or billed this film as like the first Iranian Iranian vampire western. So I was oh wondering God, that's kind of, so cool. it is really cool. <laughs> it's like the coolest possible tagline you could have. <laughs> what did you think of the way that it merged those genres, like the vampire films and the westerns? Yeah, I had to um do this program where I was talking about this recent Tom Hanks film that was a Western whose name I have forgotten. It was fine. News but of the I World, ended right? Up, 
news of the world that's it and um the lovely critic christina newland i reached out to her and she gave me a list of like westerns to kind of go through as part of my research and i've been getting much more into the western and like i love this kind of idea of like anti-heroes coming in and then being shouldered with this responsibility of like cleaning up this town where there's so much of that in this and then also even in I'm doing some research on Super Queen at the moment as well. And he refers to Mangrove, his recent film, as a Western. So I like this idea that, like, sure, when we're remaking Westerns and kind of making a very typical mm. Western, like, they often are a bit inspiring. But, like, going back to, like, these Western themes can, like, really bring out these really cool films. Mm. And what do you think are the the themes that she chooses to, to indulge in, in in this film? Well, it's so many cool different vampire elements. You kind of got the vampire as addiction and all of that mm. kind of coming through with the heroine line. Then you've got vampire as like sexual rep- repression, which is realized very beautifully. Um, and then, but what I thought was cool is it was just a bit like avenging woman vampire. Like she seems to pretty much just go for bad men. Mm-hmm. And like, is that something that you found in other? Um, vampire films that you've covered this like one's vampires that seem to exclusively go for like terrible people um i've seen it as a choice from certain vampires i think it's much more of a serial killer film trope mm-hmm. um but what i what i did notice is what was the film it's not so much in the 70s vampire films because they were very much about just you know vampires as sex mm-hmm. um Oh my god, I'm completely blanking on it. And then there was a film, Byzantium, actually. Byzantium, which is Neil Jordan's follow-up to Interview with the Vampire, which we did last week. Uh, There, the two lead vampires, who are both women, are a mother and daughter. The daughter, played by Saoirse Ronan, kind of goes after sort of dying people. So she Mm -hmm. goes after the elderly, so she's not, you know, taking away a life that's not about to end which i realize has its own complications and is still murder not yeah. excusing it but that you can see that that's her way of justifying what she needs to do and her mother kind of goes after bad men but but she's also like a uh, a sex worker both in her human life and in her vampire life so there is a lot of you know it's feeds into kind of revenge tropes as well in its way but this is this one I think is interesting you pointed out because it doesn't wear it so much in the no- on the nose because it is so sparse with its dialogue, right? Yeah. And from what I understand, Anna Lily Arumpur is like quite deaf. And that's the reason there's so much silence in her films. I believe I- she's deaf in one ear. Okay. So yeah, that yeah. makes sense that like that wouldn't be the thing that you leaned on. Hmm. And I wonder what do you think is one of the things that one of the words that we've been both using quite a lot is cool and so cool (laughs) what does that mean i think there's something i guess like the fundamentals of cool comes to like a sense of like that you're not trying too hard Mm. when you kind of achieve excellence and so when you have like the scene where she's taken off her headscarf and Mm. like the music is playing and they very, very slowly edge towards one another. And, like, just, like, the 
I think it's White Lies is playing, and like just like how incredibly slowly it happens, and how there are no cuts, and how it's just like not overdone. Like that has such a confidence to it, mm-hmm. and such a like I don't have to do more than this to like keep you enhanced. Like it just feels like you're talking to the coolest person in the bar mm-hmm. who doesn't have to try too hard. Yes, I think you've described it perfectly, and it's also how. I think I would describe Anna Lily as well, where it's like she is oh, really? one of the one of the coolest p- people that doesn't like whatever she does just seems insanely cool, and you're like I don't I don't know what you've just done, but it's been <laughs> it is officially the best thing that's ever happened. Oh, I'm thrilled! Wouldn't that be awful? that would be one of the people where if you met them and they were just like really pretentious, that would be like really <laughs> heartbreaking. And I I wanted to talk a little bit more about kind of well the vampire elements of it so what do you think because mm-hmm. the key vampire here doesn't even get a name she's just billed as the girl mm. what do you make of her yeah i really like it i mean i've kind of spent a lot of time in the middle of the east and i've um i've not worn a chador but i've worn and what I, I call it in bio many times just mm-hmm. you know like going to a mosque or going to like a certain holy place i'll put mm-hmm. on you do feel pretty dramatic when you're in one so i love the use of that like costuming to kind of bring out this like creature of the night like high drama movement that she mm-hmm. does because you know it's funny because in the west they're so seen in this very like particular way and like just like the fact that it's nice to kind of have an arm that swoops when you're wearing one like is really really lost it's also visually kind of reminiscent of dracula's cape right which is one of the most mm-hmm. iconic pieces of uh, costume design that you can add to a vampire character yeah they really lean into that they really have that kind of like wind seems to appear out of nowhere <laughs> like, and she will just be like you know fluttering in the most gorgeous ways Mm-hmm. and there's so many shots of her just well either in her i'm gonna call it layer but it's basically it's just a room but mm. she is a vampire so it's a vampire's layer <laughs> in in her room or on the streets kind of almost floating mm-hmm. whether it's when she's walking or on a skateboard there's a very like sense of her being an ethereal creature did you get that vibe from him yeah definitely and it's cool that it kind of plays with that like you've got this you know that she looks like this kind of very dramatic beautiful ethereal creature but Mm -hmm. then at the same time because of what that dress signifies it also makes her very unthreatening to all of the men around her it's like that's fundamentally what it's supposed to convey um like a yeah, so I kind of like that she played with that so effectively. And and on that note, actually, and it's not something new, but re-watching it for the purposes of this, I, just, I did focus a lot on that. And it's in the title. It's A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. That mm. in itself has a whole baggage of connotations for women. And what you just mentioned of her sort of roaming the streets uh, in her headdress knowing that that signifies that she's a woman and that she's not a threat what do you make of the way that the film sort of twists that on its head yeah it's so it, it's so interesting but to me it was also so similar to let the right one in where Ellie's mm-hmm. kind of trying to project as being like a vulnerable little girl and then that kind of gets closer to uh 
their victims. Yeah, I, I, I really like that kind of feminist angle of it, of like underestimating someone because they're sort of presenting in essentially in, in Iran just like in a female way. But then, like, that added with the fact that she does particularly go and kind of avenge, well, not particularly, she's not avenging women, but, like, she is going after, like, bad men and men that, certainly in the film, we see mistreat women to a degree. Mm. I mean, it's not entirely clear how much of it is driven by hunger. Mm. Like, for all, like, the vampires I've seen, like, she doesn't seem to be one that's, like, desperately thirsty at all mm-hmm. times like she has quite a lot of self-control mm-hmm. so it is as, as if she's able to kind of like make these decisions to clean up bad city <laughs> and what do you make of the, of the parts where she actually does go full vampire like her hunting slash seduction techniques um yeah um so trying to think of the first one so that's she bites off his finger first it's kind of like this like wonderfully like sexy move to put your Mm -hmm. finger in someone's mouth and then little do they know Mm -hmm. but i wonder how much of that was difficult because of the nature of black and white because Mm -hmm. when you can't show blood you have to rely on so many other elements Mm. um what do you mean but yeah well, I just think like gore is just sometimes a little bit harder when it comes to when you're shooting things in black and white. You can't have like big dramatic splats of red across mm-hmm. the screen. So I like that they went with like, I assume like, so like a biting of a neck and then like blood on someone's face isn't going to be as exciting. So I love that they went with that kind of biting off of the finger as that being like this kind of like sexual moment, like gone bad. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's something kind of weirdly tangible with like smaller violences like that. Like I fundamentally can't picture being ripped in two, but I can really feel a finger being bitten off. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, because it, it's something quite small and everyday. And obviously that scene in particular is like a particularly tongue-in-cheek joke where mm. it's, you know, beware, beware of certain god how do i phrase this without being totally crass Uh, (laughs) you feel like it's a castration well yes absolutely um no but i think there is there is something about that scene where it's it is the power play of we know although you know up until that point i think in the film the film could have gone i don't know if you felt this way watching it for the first time but up until the that point in the film it could have been a sort of metaphorical vampire but that mm-hmm. scene really makes it physical and it plays into what we have been told a vampire is and how a vampire operates and their violence because you know it, it, there i sort of was thinking i didn't remember the violence scenes as much of the film as much as i did the kind of languid wandering scenes and the mm-hmm. dancing scenes i will come on oh, to them the dancing scenes are amazing oh, my god but yeah, this moment is the one where you're like, oh, okay, well, I see there's sort of a vibe. We know she's going to do something to him, but mm-hmm. he thinks he's the one in control, but clearly isn't. So it's kind of funny to watch him think that he's in control and think that he's got the the power in the situation. And it all twists so quickly and so skillfully. 
that you almost yeah. don't notice the violence, but you kind of you kind of feel the tone of the film change a little bit. Yeah. Well, the you know we've come to despise that man so much that we can't help but kind of be egging her on. Hmm. So, what do you make of the? I mentioned them briefly before, but there is a ton of dancing in this film. You know, dance horror is my jam. So, what did you make? Is it now? I can't. Yeah. So, what is dance horror? Like, I'm trying to think. What else? What other examples are we? What is the oeuvre of dance horror that this is like going into? Okay. Well, uh, uh, we don't we, climax. Not, I there guess is, there is not enough time for me to. Um, <laughs> describe what it is basically it's a thing that i came up with on when talking about another film on another podcast but it's suspiria from 2018 it's climax uh it's the red shoes from the 40s sure it's uh there's a bunch of other films as well that um i can send you later but the the point being is that it's the conflation of dancing and horror whether dancing is a prelude to a horrific image or a horrific scene or whether it's the source of the horror itself so it, mm-hmm. i think it's like an extension of body horror so a subgenre yeah um but this the dancing in this film feels a lot more seductive and kind of carefree yeah, which I suppose is like the other side of Iran. Because I mean, Iran is a very strange place in that way, that it's kind of both like, I mean, that it's weirdly regressive and progressive at the same time. I mean, whether the regressive is the same way, but like, I think generally people's experience of Iranians is mm. like the rules are so, so strict within Iran. But normally, if you meet an Iranian person, they are quite progressive mm-hmm. and i think that within their own culture there's quite a lot of extremes and that's covered here obviously that we're going from you know people in like full islamic dress and then we're going to like nightclubs where people are letting their hair down completely mm-hmm. and you know i don't think that that's necessarily like unusual in the middle east um at least from my experience of growing up in and around it like a lot of societies perfectly able to kind of hold these two things simultaneously as like stuff that we do and it's often kind of like simplified down into just like oh no the true of the middle east is just kind of people on prayer mats hmm. and do you think that this film especially because it it got such a lot of attention coming out of sundance in 2014 and and afterwards do you think this film kind of helped um dispel that that understanding a little bit yeah i suppose persopolis was probably the first mm. of which came before it and then what was the one that came out recently that was another wonderful iranian film about a woman in an apartment with her son and they're being haunted oh under the shadow under the shadow yes yeah there that's some great female-led films out of iran that really kind of dispel the sort of what we see in the news myth about it and going back a little bit to to the dancing and to the characters, it's mm. one of the ways as well that, well, I wanted to ask you, what do you think of the the relationship between the girl and Arash? Oh, it's so beautiful, isn't it? I mean, it's why I kept coming back to let the right one in. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously theirs has got a slightly more like adult 
sexual frisson. Mm-hmm. But like, it's just so unbelievably sweet. Like, and you can feel their kind of nerves and their excitement just to be in like the proximity of one another. And it really kind of took me back to being, I don't know, I'm so old now. <laughs> back, back when things like that were possible and we could go outside and meet cute boys with nice hairdos. Don't know them. <laughs> well, one day. <laughs> but um, what do you think? Because we talked a little bit about the, the power dynamics with, with the bad men that she kills and stuff. But what do you think about the, the power dynamic with Arash? Because... She does, the girl does let herself be quite vulnerable to a degree with him. Yeah, it feels like, it feels that way. I mean, even if you have strength over someone, they can still really hurt your feelings. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's like, it does, she really seems to kind of let her guard down, Mm. but like with such kind of uh, care, very, very like slowly and sweetly. You can feel her nerves like, oh, it's just adorable. It really kind of witty more than any romantic comedy I've seen of late. That made me long for kind of being young and in love. What about it worked so much for you? Like in in how it's presented in the film? I think it's a combination of I haven't been outside in a year. (laughs) (laughs) And like. It's, I don't know, I guess it's it's a combination. I mean, like any film, when something works, it's just like the, the performances and the way people look and the cinematography and just the restraint and like how friggin' cool Anna Lily Arampour's direction is and how she just seems to have this like confidence to let things play out and not overstate things. Mm. Um, just really, really worked for me. And is there we haven't really we haven't really talked about the drug subplot. Hmm. So and there's you know there's a long tradition of vampires being used as a metaphor for drug addiction. But how do you think Anna Lily kind of uses the, I guess both the very two thousands American movie subplots of drug runs or dealers getting out of hand with this idea of the vampire being a metaphor for drug addiction in the film. Yeah, I mean fundamentally I think that's more it's kind of almost all that is just more set up to make us feel more empathetic with the girl and the situation she is and the people that she kills. Mm -hmm. So then we can like really buy into like the romance, which I think is the core of all of this. Just like two broken people looking for someone finding one another. And that's a, that kind of makes me think of one thing that she said, the director said when she was being interviewed about the film is that she she wanted to make the film because she was lonely or mm-hmm. like that's why she made she wanted to make films in general she said that you know making films was a way of finding intimacy with people and of you know creating friendships and i was wondering just listening to to you speak do you think that sense of loneliness comes through in the film yeah i mean i everybody feels so alone i mean there's no kind of relationship between, aside from Arash and the girl that really means anything if you like see he's got such a horrible relationship Arash with his father mm. 
and his father kind of only other connection seems to be these sex workers who he has no warmth towards mm-hmm. so it's like everybody in it is very cut off from a meaningful connection to anyone oh i i hope that I cannot believe someone as cool as Anna Lily Arampour is. Amipour is lonely. I'm like, I will be her friend. Where is she? Well, I think it's I think it's deeper than that, though, isn't it? Because even when you have friends, I know this is a very Britney thing to say, but everybody feels lonely a lot of the time. And I think, if anything, this Panini situation that we've been in for the past year has only made it kind of more starkly obvious how. Mm that aloneness and loneliness are quite different and it's interesting because re-watching this film for this a few days ago I was like oh shit this is really a very a very cool looking very stylish vampire film but it's also the loneliness really shown through and I don't know if, if it's maybe because I've spent a year with living alone with very very minimal social interactions that I'm like, wow, this time round it really shone through much more than the other stuff. Yeah, it is so empty. Like even when you walk, she walks down those streets. Aside mm. from the person that she might encounter, you don't even really feel like any of those houses are occupied. Yeah, it almost feels like one of those, um, you know, those kind of developers i don't know if they have a proper name i'm not familiar with the proper name but it's like in arrested development you know those like yeah, fake, yeah. fake neighborhoods that developers mm-hmm. can build yeah which is very spaghetti western because they used to do that just because it was cheap yeah i mean there's entire villages in spain that are basically just spaghetti western sets oh and when this is all over, we will go there. Oh, yes. <laughs> that was weirdly my first instinct. I like, ooh, a place that I could go for any reason, please. <laughs> there is, this is a total side note, but there is actually a really, really fun film by Alex de la Iglesia called 800 Bullets, which is all mm. set uh, in like one of those old spaghetti western sets that is now being used as a, a touristy attraction type space by some of the extras and the actors the locals who used to play bit parts or work on Mm. those films when they were being shot in Spain that does sound fun it's really fun but before we move into a proper fun film Mm. is there anything about A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night that you wanted to mention that we haven't talked about no not really Um, I just feel I'm very grateful that like this was the podcast that I was coming on and so I actually had a reason to watch it because it's just like you know as much as I feel like I watch a million films a week wonderful things do just kind of manage to get through the net somehow yeah and sometimes you know what I quite like watching films after all the hype has subsided because Mm -hmm. You can get into a space where you, you're almost, if you don't genuinely like sometime, something, if the hype is all around you and it's so intense, you kind of can fool yourself into liking something because you feel like you should. Oh, yeah. And you are well aware that there are a couple of films that I do not particularly like, but the hype is so big that I will take it to my absolute grave. Oh, yes. Like, I've told you and you you almost screamed. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but on that note, uh, let's move on to chatting about what we do in the shadows. Okay.
It's been like this the whole time, Deacon on dishes, and it still hasn't moved in five years. You're a cool guy, but you're not pulling your weight in the flat. Oh, I'm glad to hear that I'm cool. No, that's not the point, though. Yeah, you're missing no, I know. Not a I know. flat meeting about how cool you are. When you get three vampires in a flat, obviously there's going to be a lot of tension. <laughs> Viago was an 18th century dandy. Mm. A ghost cop. Vladislav is a bit of a pervert. This is my torture chamber. Deacon's like the young bad boy of the group. I'm supposed to pay rent, but I don't. The trouble with being a vampire is you have to be invited in. Come in to the bar, please. Will you invite us in? We need some fresh blood. Hi, my name is Nick. I've been a vampire for two months. My friend Rich is a bouncer. He'll invite us in. Gentlemen, you are most welcome. <laughs> Nick is so much fun. I'm a vampire. Vampire! Vampire! Such a dick. Nick, oh. why don't you use the front door? You want to draw attention to this house, hmm? You've got a whole documentary crew following you around. You let a vampire hunter into our I don't house. Wait a minute, I discovered my email. I'm, I'm kill you! I'm already dead! Not eat the camera guy, maybe one camera guy. Here's your legs. Wow. Ah, what the f did you do for? Hey, that was. Don't swear. What are we? Werewolves, not swirls. When you're a vampire, you become very sexy. Okay, so this is wildly different tone to yes. Anna Lilia Mappur's film. But mm -hmm. let me just ask about your own relationship with the Flight of the Concords dudes and Take Away Titi. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the best night out I've ever had in my entire life. I was life. hoping you were going to say that tell that story. <laughs> Go on was I was in Edinburgh for the Edinburgh Film Fest uh, Fringe Festival because I love stand-up and I love fringe theatre with my two best friends, Jenny and Fiona. And that was the year where Flight of the Concords, they were not particularly famous, but uh, they had they were nominated for the Perrier that year for some like little show that they did. And we went to go see them and there were literally 12 people maybe in the audience. And I was drunk. <laughs> As I, you know, I was like... 19 or whatever um and I was like just went up to them afterwards and started talking to them and this other person said to us you should come to this club night called it was called something like slightly rude snatch it was called <laughs> snatch so we went with Jermaine and Brett to this club night and it had giant it was hosted by these guys called the Cuban brothers and there was a giant naked slip and slide all the way down the club and there were like weirdly like shots being given out for winning like games of musical statues. And like, you know, when you talk about like star power, yeah. like Brett, Brett is a very nice person, but Jermaine Clement is like an otherworldly being. Like when he walks <laughs> towards you, he seems to be in slow motion. <laughs> and he's such a good dancer. And yes, there was kissing. It was. Wonderful. But then for some reason, we left kind of early to get chips. Wait, 
Are you wait, wait. Are you implying that you made out with Jimmy Clement? I very briefly did. My <gasps> friend Fiona properly made out with Jermaine Clement because we we did not have such fears of herpes back then that we would part of <laughs> Oh my God, I miss being young. I'm going to stop this recording right now. I need a moment. <laughs> you did not tell me this. I was not ready. Oh, did I not? Okay, sorry. <laughs> Um, oh my god he's so gorgeous and like and it was just like the most fun night ever so so with all of that backstory and (laughs) with all of that backstory what did you what did you expect of the film when you first saw it like when did you first see it and did you love it when it came out and is it a film that you've revisited much since yeah, I've always been a fan of theirs. I liked um, Eagle vs. Shark and Boy. Um, so generally a big fan of the kind of Taika Waititi oeuvre. And uh, like, I think New Zealand humour, weirdly, actually mm-hmm. works for me. Like, I like their kind of deadpan. There was another one, rec- another horror comedy recently called like, Homebound. Mm-hmm. I thought was really funny as well. So yeah, I went to go see this at the cinema with my husband. Um, telling him the Jermaine Clement story like twice as we went there and then like a third time as we went back. (laughs) Um, And yeah, and I really, really liked it. But I do remember at the end of it saying that like, oh, this would be better as a TV show. And I think I was right. Oh, Mm. controversial. Please elaborate. I mean, this comes from a place where I love the film and I love the TV show. But I want to hear what you think. You think the TV show is better? Yeah, I just think that comedy tends to work better in TV show form. I mean, like, obviously, there's a million examples of that not being the case. But, like, I think sometimes when you have more time Mm. and just have to get to know these characters, you can kind of play more into, like, smaller things because you don't have, like, okay, we've got 90 minutes or so to, like, establish who these people are, create some sort of... um, tension and then like resolve it by the end whilst I think over TV you can just kind of like go into like really weird little plot lines that are so funny like I was watching a couple of episodes of it last night mm-hmm. um, and he and there's just one where Matt Berry to get out of a bill goes and becomes a woman's football uh, volleyball coach and like <laughs> runs a bar and it's so stupid but it's like you couldn't explore just like a wild side storyline mm. and have you know stuff like that happen in a film <laughs> but having said that I do think the film is great but I think it is a better tv show I mean I would also would have loved to see the tv show with these actual characters with Viaga, with Vladislav with Deacon well, they do Peter. appear they do a bit but they're not they're not the main ones no, that's although that said as well I would love for Nadja to be in this film I know. I was actually a little bit na- nervous about Nadja when they introduced her in the mm. t- in the TV show because, like, you know, sometimes there's just like, oh, and here's the girl one, and they don't really like give them as much to do. But um, I really think um, what she called Nastasia Dimitri. Yeah. Um, she's really like made that character probably my favorite now. Oh, one hundred percent agree. So mm-hmm. on that note, like, what do you make of the of the of the vampire characters in this film? I can't. I can't even talk about it without smiling. It's so much fun. <laughs> it's so fun, isn't it? Like that kind of like really lame version of Lestat of being like this, like highly sexed, 
um, you know, demon beast, but like fundamentally, like just not that cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think it's so so funny. Like, and um, I think that like they all of the little bits that they kind of lean into with like the impracticalities of uh, being a vampire are so mm-hmm. funny. Like the whole thing of when they have to get dressed. <laughs> That they have to describe things to one another and like use mannequins to put together their outfits. Like those little details are so funny. <laughs> and also the um the the relationship between them and mm-hmm. and the way that they like every single thing that they do is a little nod and wink to a previous vampire film, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah, because they've got literally Nosferatu in the basement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And what did you make of um of kind of of all of those little nods, which go from you know having Nosferatu in the basement as like the the dirty flatmate who never cleans up, to yeah. your uh your your lost love Jermaine Clement being essentially Gary Oldman's Dracula. <laughs> oh my god! Like, well, he's my lost love, so <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It was. Uh, it's just so perfectly realized even down to like I think like the all of actually extremely talented physical comedians so like they took on these like physicalities and I think Taika Waititi was maybe the best at it of like really kind of like using his wrists to kind of create a lot of flair that um was just so hilarious as the kind of like dandy vampire but I think one of my favorite lines is the fact that Jermaine Clement is supposed to be 16, but like, yeah. just, back when, but just back when he lived, like 16 year olds had a very hard life. Yes. <laughs> I mean, this part of the episode is just going to be us talking about the things that we found the most fun about this film. Yeah. But does the like mockumentary format work for you in general and do you think this film I mean we both love it so I know what the answer is going to be but like do you think it it uses it well yeah definitely and it's because the mockumentary is a little bit overdone um Mm -hmm. and so it's like really nice to kind of go back and see an example about like oh no this is like the potential of that and then like as much as um, loads of films do mockumentary and they never break the fourth wall and actually talk to the camera crew when they do it in this film it is genuinely really really effective mm-hmm. and they do it a couple of times in the TV show as well and it is absolutely brilliant um, the one thing that I would say is that I weirdly in the film was not that into the vampire familiar it just I think that kind of landed a little too depressing to me mm. I, guess I wonder whether it's because it's a woman and it's a man taking advantage of her that that kind of just felt a bit icky. Yeah, I mean, and she does address it. She's like, you know, oh, if I had a dick, I would have been bitten years ago, which I thought was quite funny and mm. and very true. But yeah, I think I guess this is the part where you, what you were mentioning about the TV series, just having more time to develop these side stories and these side characters. The yeah. fact that um, Guillermo on the show has his own story and his own ambitions and his own journey and then becomes a vampire hunter and it's hilarious (laughs) (laughs) it's so 
Oh my god, one of my favourite scenes ever is when he's kind of killing a ton of vampires, but he's doing it with like two bottles of holy water, and he's just sort of like gleefully spinning in a circle, but like somehow he's like doing it in a way that looks like a girl, like a little girl might do be doing in a playground, it's Mm. so funny. Um, yeah, I'm very glad they got to make it into a TV show, and I'm glad that I prophesized it so I can be like one of those obnoxious hits of people who says that I came up with this idea first. <laughs> um, and what do you make of the of the werewolves? Not the swearwolves. <laughs> werewolves, not swearwolves. <laughs> I remember so clearly listening to Mark Commode um, on the radio when the, the week that this came out, and they mm. played the clip of werewolves not swearwolves and he said like oh, i suppose it's kind of funny and i like yelled into my car radio like what are you talking about that's hilarious <laughs> <laughs> like oh that gets me every time werewolves versus swearwolves but i think reese darby has that oh gift of like he doesn't have to do much yeah. to just be hilarious what is it about him? It was the same on Flight of the Concords on their on their show, the HBO show mm. that they did. Where I was like, "You're just sitting there, not really doing anything," and I cannot <laughs> stop laughing. <laughs> this is probably his most assertive role, and yeah, I I like I'm in tears every time he's on screen. I don't know what it is about him. What is it? I don't know. I like the great thing about this film is it also feel like there's a version of this that like also then didn't do the violence but like the fact that they actually like have some moments of like oh god Stu's been disemboweled (laughs) (laughs) yeah what do you make of the violence well and like when the scene where Viago is gonna eat a woman and he bites into the main artery accidentally and just makes a whole mess down the newspaper under her feet as she's talking (laughs) (laughs) oh my god it's great but I mean it's more power to them that they can like literally just show something that horrific and it's like never stops being funny (laughs) like we are instinctively on the side of the guy who's Mm. just trying to like run a decent washing up schedule (laughs) and like nobody else will chip in and oh my god look at this mess Viago is like the annoying flatmate who actually makes a whole rota for everyone and is like mm-hmm. knocking on doors and, and asking people to take off the ch- the chores that they have done. Yeah, I have never been that flatmate. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that's something I will put on my tombstone. I never really got that time. It's weird how like chore wheels make it feel like you're doing more chores than if you're just all doing stuff as and when. That is very true. Just just don't be a dirty dickhead. Just clean up after yourself. Yeah. You don't need a chart for that. No, they're just so... Anyway, so maybe that is... <laughs> maybe that is, <laughs> like, the specific, what this kind of all started out as. Mm. I just think that that scene where they're kind of, uh, you know, like, nobody's moved the chore wheel in five years. <laughs> i mean it started off as a short film right so they made a film they all made a little short film together in 2005 and then eventually expanded that into a feature and then a series and Mm -hmm. i wanted to to ask you about Stu. 
Oh, Stu with his lovely red face. Yes. But I just love the idea about, like, sometimes we all know a Stu. There's just somebody who's just like, yeah, I like having that guy around. Like, and it's it's not because they're a big personality. They're just like a really solid guy. They've always got a pen when you need one. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. That just absolutely demolished me. They've always got a pen. <laughs> They've always got a pen. I love that. <laughs> And it's it's weird because Stu feels like he he accidentally walked in on set on the set mm. of his friends who were making a film <laughs> and they were like, Yeah, why don't you why don't you pop in, in that scene, just be one of the extras and then accidentally ended up with a role. Yeah. There isn't really a stew yet in the T V show. I'm hoping that, that will happen, but I wonder if it's actually kind of like hard to find someone who will like act that little well he's not <laughs> that naturalistic he's not maybe an actor though is he because he's a friend of Waititi I think and oh he is oh that's perfect and he like <laughs> oh my god wait you didn't know this so he no. he well is... I used to see they're all friends because New Zealand's a very small place yeah but apparently and I also did not know this until I was reading about the film for this he like Stu real Stu his name is also Stu He's an IT guy, and he was just pals with Waititi, and he oh didn't he didn't know <laughs> that his role was going to be so big until he watched the film at the premiere, and I just, I love that fact. Oh, I'm going to have to move to New Zealand after this. This, is, this place seems to be really my vibe, where you can just end up in a film by just being in the right place at the right time. Honestly, yes, absolutely. Also, you know. Everyone just seems to have a very weird sense of humor that perfectly jams with mine. And Jermaine Clement is there, and maybe he'll remember me. Well, I think he's in the States now, and married with children, but I ship it. Married so. with child, and so am I, but you know, things happen. <laughs> People make midlife choices. Would it be worse if there was more than one child, Layla? <laughs> hey. You know what? I just feel that like some of us are allowed to, like I said, have fantasies and energies that we can then bring back to our partners, and there is no victims here. I love it. Like I ship it. Yes, thank you. (laughs) What would be what would be your ship name with Jermaine Clement? And Lemaine is pretty bad, isn't it? It's not terrible. Lament. Ooh, that's got that's got a gothy sound to it. I'm into it. That okay. sounds like that sounds like a like an Evanescence song. Yeah, I was like, I did read that his he's got one kid and he's called Sophocles. And oh, part of my one my I night see, out I of see him, the research that you did for this episode is mainly about Jermaine Clement's personal life. <laughs> well, no, because I were on that night out at here. There was this one point because there was only one big communal bathroom, and we were in both in the queue. Uh, and he had a pen and there were people were graffitiing, writing on the wall. It was just a vibe. He wasn't like vandalizing anything. And he wrote, last night I went out and got really fucked up in like quotation marks and did a dash and said Sophocles as if it was a quote from the philosopher Sophocles. But then he had a kid called Sophocles. And I was like, was I there when you <laughs> named your child on the wall of a bathroom? Maybe. So that will be my introduction when I reconnect with Jermaine Clement. So, you know, I have a plan. I I am in awe of the plan. I do wonder, do you want this plan to be broadcast? <laughs> <laughs> I 
Oh, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> ooh. Damn it! I feel like this section of the podcast has been our very own mockumentary about <laughs> talking about a mockumentary vampire film. Uh, I'm so glad how well they're all doing. Although it's weird how um, I mean, Jermaine Clement's just wonderful, but Taika Waititi's kind of taken on this vibe of his own. He's really good. Managed to get his sense of humor into mm. like things like Thor Ragnarok and I felt wildly indifferent to um god what was the Nazi one that he did recently oh Jojo Rabbit yeah I I didn't care about that film at all I've loved everything else that he's done but yeah Jojo Rabbit seemed to people seem to love it or hate it and I was just like that was perfectly fine and I have no more feelings <laughs> Well, it's like I was gonna ask you, like, do you this was directed by YTT, obviously it's much more collaborative, I get it, from because of his long, long friendship with Jermaine and, and Brett, although Brett is not in this, I don't think. Mm. Um how does it feel like a Taika YTT film for you? Um I think I think it's just the humor really. Mm. Um and like he's got that kind of like it's very absurd, but then he has people speaking in an extremely like natural way, and they'll sort of like follow up on things and stuff. Like it feels very unlike dialogue y, mm-hmm. but like the situation is absurd, if that makes sense. Which is what I mean, I guess that's what it is. All is at their core. Like, you know, the sort of in Thor Ragnarok where like something sticky gets on Jeff Goldblum's shoes, and it's like, oh God. Um, Whilst in this, it's like oh, vampires who are complaining about the chore rotor. It's like, oh, we're taking the most extreme situation and then just having like extremely like natural reactions to things. <laughs> um, and I think it would be, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about the TV spinoffs because we talked briefly mm. about the, the What We Do in the Shadows TV series, but there's also Wellington Paranormal, which deals with the werewolves, that's werewolves. I know, and it's finally available in the UK. Yeah, years later. So, what do you, what kind of in in broader terms, what do you make of the of the TV series? I say that Wellington Paranormal is a little bit kind of lighter and sillier. Hmm. I still think it's very very funny. Um, I re- but I definitely read more into what we do in the shadows, like as the TV series, because I think. Like, I don't know whether it's like a budget thing, but I think they're just able to kind of do bigger things and it's just cast so well. Mm. Like Matt Berry was born to be in that role and they managed to just get like the most amazing like supporting people to come in and do an episode. Mm. Like, so yeah, I cannot wait for series three and I'm surprised that it kind of made it. Like, it feels like too specific for, to really connect with american audiences i'm really glad it did yeah it feels extremely niche doesn't it Mm. but it's like it's like one of those worlds where you just want to spend more time yeah you kind of just want to spend more time with this with this approach to vampires 100 percent and they're each and i think it's quite rare that you have three well in many ways four central vampires in a show and like they're all actually extremely fleshed out mm. absolutely yeah i mean it's and like the inclusion of colin robinson the energy vampire like when i saw it in the first episode i was like how is that gonna be a thing but like it is the most wonderful thing it is the most hilarious thing 
and honestly also the most weirdly down-to-earth thing because you know what we all know an energy vampire we all do know and then remember when she the episode where he makes a friend who turns out to be an emotional vampire <laughs> played by vanessa bayer oh my god yes. so good so so good and also all the the like the vampire world the expansion of the vampire world and who hates who and all the all the like the gossip between them and all the backstories like it's it's also in the film but i think the show really expands on it yeah but nothing kind of sets up like they've still got this whole obsession with like virgins in both the films and in the tv series and i just love the line in the film where jermaine clement is explaining about like you know it's like if you had a sandwich like you would enjoy eating that sandwich more if you knew that nobody had fucked it (laughs) (laughs) because you just assume he's about to say take a bite oh it's so good (laughs) it's so good I mean, it's kind of almost difficult to talk about a film where you literally have nothing bad to say about it. <laughs> it's no. just so fucking perfect. It's so great. And I think it's just like also been lent to by how well Taika Waititi's career has done. That He's clearly mm-hmm. able to call in all these favors. And so in the TV show, there's so many like brilliant people that are coming in for like two minute appearances. Well, there's a little cameo by Tilda Swinton, which there I think is. is like a beautiful little tie in to uh, Only Lovers Left Alive. Yeah, and, and um, Danny Trejo was the one I was very excited about. And Evan Rachel Wood, which is a tie-in yeah. to True Blood. Yep. Uh, we love yeah. it. Who else appears in that scene? Wesley Snipes. How do we oh, get yes! Wesley Snipes? Oh my god. <laughs> yes, Wesley Blade Skypes in, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, well, I really want to go and rewatch Wellington Paranormal and What We Do in the Shadows, the TV show. Alongside I know. I watched like four episodes last night as I was going to sleep, and like it is so rewatchable. And I think that's the thing about the best comedy. And I feel that way about Arrested Development, but about not yes. that much more about like each time you come into it because there's so many tiny little jokes and gestures that are so rewatchable. Mm. Is there anything about What We Do in the Shadows, the film? that we haven't mentioned that you wanted to bring up? Um, No, not really. I think it's quite rare that you have a vampire film that has such a happy ending, but like anything else would have been a bit of a betrayal. Like I'm glad that everyone ends up so happy. I'm glad that Stu is okay. Yes. (laughs) That's, that's one of the most important (laughs) things. And he got, he gets some cool scars. Yeah. And chicks dig scars. <laughs> um, Layla, thank you so much, as always, for your time and for your insight, and also for uh the the German Clement backstory. That mm-hmm. was that was very special. Pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> so, where can people find more of your work online? Oh, um, yes. So I will be in the next issues of Total Film and of a and of Little White Lies and new column with Curzon coming up. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And that's it for this episode of the Final Girls Podcast and our vampire season. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. If you can, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or a rating. It genuinely really helps, especially while we're not publishing regular content. You can find out more about what we do over on our website, thefinalghost.co.uk. Subscribe to our weekly newsletter and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at thefinalghost.uk. 
You can also head over to Patreon forward slash the final girls where we'll be posting bonus episode and more goodies. And you can follow Layla on Twitter at Layla Latif. And I am over there as well at Anna B. Demented. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoy vampires, then definitely dive back into some of our previous vampire episodes. And we will be posting some bonus ones in the coming weeks.